Welcome back to Random Book Club Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Van. Today we're covering Chapter 9 of the Aeronauts Windlist by Jim Butcher. With me today, as always, Justin Mason. How you doing, bro? It's great to be back, Dan. I'm doing excellent. Thanks for having me on for the podcast again. I look forward to doing this whenever we have a chance because these chapters are so damn interesting and a great example of a chapter again no action no fighting no combat all characters discussion conversation world building storytelling but it's an a plus chapter let's get into it summary the chapter begins with gwen and cousin benny on their way to the duel between bridget and reggie the pair of cousins argue about raul actually being allowed as bridget's second in the duel Gwen can't believe that Benny is going along with it, but Benedict challenges her to think about the consequences of the duel. So this is a passage from the book. Gwen pressed her lips together for a moment before speaking. If she loses the duel, the Tagwins will be both a laughingstock and a highly visible target of economic opportunity. At the very least, their income might suffer. It's probable that one of the hungrier houses with interest in that market will find a way to buy out their battery or legislate them out of business. True, Benedict said. And if she wins? That's far a far worse circumstance, Gwen said. If she beats Reggie, she incurs the ire of a major house, might and probably transfigure into will and certainly, in reference to their house might be bought out, their house you know, probably will be taken over by a lower. It house. will be. Right. Benedict nodded. House Tagwin, House Aster. Yes, you've done the math. He considered, well, two thirds of it anyway. What do you mean two thirds? He held up a forefinger. You've accounted for the Tagwins. He held up the next finger. You've considered the Asters. He stuck up his thumb out to one side. What about the cats? Gwen let out an impatient breath, but then she paused. There are really cats inside of House Lancaster, Gwen asked, and I've just never seen them. Benedict spread his hands as if to display the fact is self-evident. But I suppose it does not necessarily follow that they have not seen me. Ah, Benedict said, his tone pleased. The light dawns. So what are the implications here? So I'm seeing this as, okay, if Tagwin loses, House looks stupid yep um insubordinate bought out all that shit if they win because this is the first time to my knowledge that a cat has been a second yes so think about that for a second because this is like the first time that this has ever happened cats are becoming recognized this could be huge i agree i totally agree and I think that's what Benny's trying to show her. Like, yeah, if she wins, these people will be pissed off. Sure. But she'll have the cats behind her in full force. That's kind of how I see this. Yeah, I had written a little something about this. 
So Gwen sure. is correct in her thinking of the possible negative consequences to both Tagwin and Astor Houses, depending on the outcome of the duel. But Benedict really shines in both strategic and moral in a strategic and moral way by revealing the third factor in this equation of the duel being the cat side of things. Strategically, having a cat as a second would definitely throw off any opposing house because it's seemingly never been done before. The opponent wouldn't know whether or not it's a joke. But morally, it is the right decision to have Raoul as a second and through this become a champion of an underrepresented class in Spire Albion. When Gwen is going through the various possible outcomes of the duel and only discusses the consequences of House Tagwin and Aster, Benedict points out that she has only figured out two-thirds. But I think Benny is missing on one more, House Lancaster. The fact that House Lancaster would not only aid a perceived lower house, but also give their stamp of approval on Raoul as Bridget's second is a huge social statement. It seems from what we've read so far that cats are not considered equals in the society, social hierarchy of society, at least for Spire Albion. So this could be a defining moment in a possible movement towards equality for cats. Jim does a great job at touching on themes of social inequality, alienation, and the power of one here. So that's what I really liked about it is, yes, we got Tagwins. Yes, we got Asters. Benedict brings up the cats. But I also think for House Lancaster, this is a big statement too because they are a high house. And they're saying, you know, they're given their stamp of approval on this thing. Like, yo, cats are part of society too. Now we have to act on it or, you know, actually show this. So it's pretty cool. So back to the chapter. Gwen and Benny continue their discussion on their way to the meeting place of the duel, and Gwen compliments Benny on his political mindfulness, something that surprised her. He says he would rather still be seen as someone uninterested in such things. Then his stomach growls, and despite his best efforts not to give any, get any special treatment, Gwen insists on having lunch before the duel. And we get some more useful information on the differences warrior-born traits are to standard humans. So this is from the book. Gwen let out a mental sigh. She knew how much Benny disliked, or yeah, Benny disliked being born different, and the pains to which he went to conceal those differences. She knew he never moved as quickly or as powerfully as he could have during runs or in combat training. He carried lumen crystals with him and employed them in the darker sections of the habble, despite the fact that his feline eyes had no need of them. He ate on a rigid schedule in the guard's dining hall, downing exact the exactly the portions dealt out to each recruit despite the fact that he could quite literally starve to death on a diet that would be more than adequate for anyone else so we learn about the warrior borns you know we we already knew that they burned a little hotter than regular humans you know they burn hotter than regular humans and they're basically they're basically like superhumans yeah and his stomach's growling and she's like you know what we're going to get food and he's like no 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 i'm good and, he, and she's like we're going to get food. It's a very like Goku this, moment. This, of, can we, can I, can I just, can we just like read this? Can I read this part? Because I actually, out of the whole chapter, this was my favorite sequence. Please do. Benny was a wonderful, sweet, dear idiot. Gwen thought we're eating before the duel. She said firmly, come with me. Gwen, he protested. I'm hungry. She lied smoothly. And you would be so rude as to make a lady eat alone. Would you come along? Benedict's called. I haven't any money with me. I have lots. Gwen said cheerfully, come along. Honestly, Gwendolyn, he muttered, you simply cannot take a hand. Oh, I am more than capable of it, cuz, she said airily. At the moment, I choose not to. 
Shall we have those dumplings you like? Betty's stomach rumbled louder. Yep. He eyed her. That's cheating. I have no idea what you're talking about, Gwen said, and gave him what she liked to think was a firm smile, the one where she locked her jaw. She spoke through her teeth. Now, come along. Benedict glowered for a moment more and then sighed. You're going to insist, aren't you? I am a lady of House Lancaster, Benny. You are a gentleman of House Sorrel and Lancaster. I shouldn't need to. She smiled firmly. Benedict rolled his eyes, plucked a white handkerchief from his pocket, and gave it a solemn wave. I yield. Gwendolyn beamed. Commendable. This exchange right here was pure writing genius. It was awesome. It. Yeah. Oh, I, my God. I love the little bits of you know exactly where both characters are coming from. Benny doesn't want to impose. He is better than that. Just literally, he is better than that. He's very yep. disciplined. However, yep. Gwen is like, yo, dude, you need food, and you're not going to admit it. I know that about you, so I'm going to say I'm hungry. And it's very obvious, but she's holding him accountable to his like duty and saying, like, you're going to let a lady eat alone? You can't do that. I'm hungry. What about we get those dumplings you like? And his stomach goes, you know? Yeah, like, what is this, anime? Yeah. yeah. And and I just love at the end, he just pulls out the white handkerchief. I yield, you know? It was just good. Yeah, yeah it's good. It's good writing. It's fun. It's entertaining. It sets the pace for basically the entirety of the chapter. Yeah, so shortly after this, there's a chapter break as they change their destination to stop at a food stall. So now we've changed scenes and head over to the open air market where Gwen and Benny find a food stall. Yes. The little stall where a stout silver haired old couple named Beach served hot food to order was off to the side of the main market area out of the immediate swirl of trade and foot traffic. The backs of other stalls formed a little C-shaped alcove where a few simple tables and chairs had been set out, creating the impression of seclusion. Gwen marched up to the stall, but found no one in sight. Hello, she called. We've come for some lunch. We're not quite ready yet, called a voice from inside the stall. Become ready, Gwen called back in a, a merry edge in her command. I'm glad to pay very well for your trouble. So uh, it's lighthearted. You know, she is commanding, saying, become ready. You know, obviously, either she's familiar with it and we learn she is familiar with the stall. The people know her, you know. Uh, but it, it's kind of a nice, it gives a, like a nice personality to Gwen there. It, the writing has the same tone that the characters have, which is fantastic. It turns out the owners of the stall, Mr. and Mrs. Beach, know Gwen quite well, as she apparently frequents this place as a preferred eatery. Gwen orders a dumpling for herself and two for Benedict, and Mr. Beach gets right to work. The cousins share some playful banter as a newcomer enters the scene. Ooh. Bum, 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 bum. From the book. A rather bookish-looking man of middle years entered the alcove, muttering, Just don't see how that's going to work. His clothes, though fine, were rumpled and askew, and his violet waistcoat was an affront to the sensible sensibilities of a generation against the plain brown tweed of his coat and trousers. His hair was brown and overgrown, muddled with strands of gray and his hands were long-fingered and fine. He was writing in a journal with a pen fitted with a glowing crystal, muttering to himself as he did. Good day, Mr. and Mrs. Beach, he said without looking up. He stifled a yawn and uh, with one hand 
and then continued writing. A double of your finest, with some coffee, if you will, nice and dark. Then the pen flew over the page, scrawling out a line, some sort of figures Gwen didn't recognize. The Beaches know this newcomer on a first-name basis, actually. His name is Addy. Which is evidenced in the very next sentence. Yeah, you want to read that? I do. Good day, Addy, said Mrs. Beach, her her voice warm. Up all night again. Oh, the curse of an academically inclined mind, I'm afraid, the man replied. Miles and miles in different ways to think about the same old useless things. He never stopped writing as he spoke. Yet he bumped into Gwen with the edge of his journal. Ah, pardon me, sir. Sir? Gwen asked in an arch tone. Yes, Addie asked, finishing a line with a flourish and beginning the next. Gwen cleared her throat, quite obviously indicating that she expected him to look up. Up with it, man, Addie said. If you've something on your mind, just say it. I'm a bit too pressed for time to dance about. Like, dude. I love it. I had, and, I, and I had no idea who this was, right? Yeah. I had absolutely no idea who this character was. But the Who were you thinking was, it was? Did you think it was just a straight-up new character? I thought it was the... Um, what do we call the magic users in this book? The Etherealist. I thought it was the Etherealist because it was saying that his... Um, his Violet Westcott was an affront to the sensibilities of a generation, meaning like it's old. Yeah. And like, didn't he yeah. wear old clothing? So I'm like, oh, is, it, is this just the yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. the crystal guy yeah. coming in to get some food for the freaking yeah. Yeah, the, the guy with been, the broken you know, arm? And I'm like, I'm just, I'm listening to this and I'm just reading this and I'm like, okay, who's this new character? Uh, is she going to like, because he, doesn't he initially like kind of flirt with her a little bit? Like It happens. Uh, well, so what's interesting about this is, first of all, it's weird or it's it's an interesting um, – how would I word this? It's interesting that Gwen can go to a food stall and know them enough to say, hey, can you open early? We need some food. And they're like, yeah, sure. You know, we'll, we'll get cooking. And then another person who also knows them on a first-name basis says, hey, get me some more, you know. Hey, you're, I see you're already cooking. Why don't you pop, pop in a couple more of those dumplings, you know? And they do. Yo, sugar, throw in a couple dumplings. So, And they do, which is like, okay, so we've got a special character in Gwen who is familiar with these people and nice enough to them and good enough of a customer where they're willing to do this for her. But now this guy comes up. Who is he? How we build cred with him? Obviously, he's got cred with the, the shop owners. And they know him on a first name basis. So he's got some credibility. We just don't know who he is yet. And then what I really like is she's like, excuse me, like trying to be like, uh, you're being kind of rude here. And he goes out with it, man. He says out with it, man, even though she's a girl. It is ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Oh, does he say ma'am or does he say man? No. No, he says man, but I'm just like, it's yeah. just, I can hear Gwen. Oh, okay. I can hear Gwen shouting, it is ma'am. Yeah, I read that a couple times just to make sure, you know. And yeah, he's <laughs> I just I thought like, maybe it was a print, print type uh, mistake at first. I don't, you know, it could have been, but it comes off really good. The fact that he says out with it, man, like it's just a common thing he says. Like, I don't have time to dance about, dude. I got things yeah. going on. So Benedict attempts to interject before Gwen goes off on the poor old man. But she, but she waves him off before he can get a word in. Yeah, she's like, back off. Man. Determined to set this man in his place. She demands the name of the man who has been so impolite to her, and Addie asks if his name even matters. She is quick to say yes, it does, that she should know which house allows one of its scions to wander the habble without proper manners. Oh, boy. Addie responds with a more rhetorical approach and asks, 
uh, a little differently this time. Should my name matter? He continues by asking, aren't his actions his own? And should it matter more or less depending on if he's from a high house or not? Gwen reiterates in response that of course it matters that if he was a commoner, she could hardly blame him for not knowing proper etiquette because he wouldn't have had any education in it. But based on his clothing alone, she guessed that he is not a commoner. Addie asks if she should, if she would hold him more accountable if he was a member of the aristocracy. And this is from the book. This is her response to that of him being like, well, if I was part of the aristocracy, would you hold me more accountable? Protocol between members of the houses is the standard by which appropriate respect is given to one's peers. Respect that keeps the, those houses from feuds and civil war. It is your duty to behave properly, sir. To those whom much is given, much is required. Of course, I expect more of you. So this draws, so this draws a smile from Addie. He kind of looks at her for a second then starts smiling. And he nonchalantly, he like peers over her shoulder and is like, hey, how much longer on those dumplings? And then uh, Mr. Beach is like, yeah, they're up. Coming right up, man. So then he turns his gaze to Benedict. <laughs> I love your, can you do that again? Can you do, can you do that again? Well, he, how he, much longer on them dumplings? Yeah, how much longer on them dumplings, Beach? And Beach is like, yeah, coming up. Right up yet. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Order up. And he, he then turns to Benedict and is like, uh, would you introduce us now? Because remember, Benedict has been trying to interject like, uh, Gwen, uh, one second. Uh, this is uh, – and then she's just like, no, I need to talk to this guy. And he's like, all right. I'll do this. He just Shut stands back I'll and he kind of observes and sees how she digs herself a freaking grave. And so can – can, uh, can I read this part? Yes. Thank you. Benedict drew in a deep breath and eyed Gwen with fond exasperation. Because, he said, you really must learn to shut your mouth from time to time. You'll taste less shoe leather. Straightening his coat, he bowed and said, Gwendolyn, Margaret, Elizabeth Lancaster, daughter of Lord Minister and Lady Lancaster, it is my <clears throat> singular pleasure to introduce you to His Majesty Addison Orson Magnus Jeremiah Albion. First citizen and spirearch of Albion. We got our spirearch, dog. What up? We Let's found go. him. We found him, lad. He's here, and it and Gwen is staring in disbelief. When he said this, I was just like, "Oh, oh shit, shit. shit, shit! Oh shit!" Yeah, that's what I. That's what I did. I like did a double take. I read it a second time. I'm like. Oh, they're actually introducing this character now because we've been hearing about it from uh, our, our captain Grimm. Yep. So I was, I was like, when are we going to meet the Spyrarch? And I'm just like, Oh boy, here we go. Like I, I thought she was going to be in trouble at first, but his playful attitude, I, I really like his demeanor. Like, yeah, you know, whatever, like life's too short, man, you yep. know, just chill out, you know, man, it is man, you know, and it's he, just he like, gives oh, a really good first impression. Oh, yeah, he's fantastic. So I liked him already. Gwen stared in disbelief, recounting her insubordinate actions in her head as her face went hot. Benny just smiled in satisfaction at her. The Spyrarch invited them to eat lunch fist with them, and so they did. Because remember, there's that, that part where he's like, uh, wh why don't you have some breakfast with me? Or is it lunch? Lunch, lunch fest. Lunch. And it's like, 
this guy's awesome. You know, yeah, he doesn't take life too seriously. Yeah. He doesn't you know, have a stick up his ass. He doesn't think he's better than anybody. We'll call lunch fest. Hey, Benny. And then, where are them dumplings? The dumplings are hot. Uh, the meal was mostly in silence. Gwen rethinking everything that had just happened. And Benny barely holding himself back from mowing down his dumplings in two bites. The sire, the sire Addy starts a conversation about the beaches and how great their food is. We learn that they had moved up to Habble Morning from Habble Landing 10 years ago, that he had offered them a position on his staff, but they had refused wanting to make their own way, and he liked that about the beaches. Again, we're, so, we're getting more information about him through his storytelling. You took the words right out of my mouth, Dan. It's, it's, it's really good writing here because... Uh, Butcher does this a lot. He tells you about a character without saying anything. Like about that he character. Was, he was this. He was that. He was this. It's about their personal view of the world. You can tell so much about the character. I exactly. The conversation then turned to Benedict. Addie stating that he was surprised to see him here again after what happened last year, to which Cousin Benny responded with, it barely left a scar. Then we get to hear some cool backstory about our boy Benny. So Benedict, Benny, Benny, Benny the badass. Benny the badass. So the spire arc starts to share this story because Gwen is like, what are you talking about? Benedict was serving a year with the guard, the spire arc said. I sent him as a part of a small team down to Habel Risen to track down a missing shipment of weapon crystals. The thieves who had them declined to yield up their prize. Gwen's eyes widened. You were in a battle? It wasn't a battle, Benedict replied quickly, just a scuffle over getting through the door of the hi- of their hideout. Hardly worth mentioning. A scuffle in which the guardsman was badly wounded, the Spyrarch said, and in which your cousin killed two armed men who were beating one of his fellow guardsmen with clubs. After that, he pushed six more back through their own front door despite all they could do to hold it against him. One of them stabbed him in the arm for his trouble. It wasn't much of a wound, Benedict said. His face looked flush. He's like, it wasn't much of a wound. We're good, guys. He's like, he's like, he's like I'm fine. He saved a number of lives, the Spyrarch said, including those of his companions and most of the thieves, never mind the havoc that could have uh, been loosed if those crystals had flooded the black market. He blinked and looked at Gwen. He received the Order of the Spire. I assumed you knew. The Order of the Spire, dude. It's probably like an Iron Cross or something. It's pretty cool. It's like, hey, you know, it's like the Medal of Honor. You know what I mean? The Purple Heart. It's a bit, yeah, I, I read that part as like, a, oh, dude, this guy's actually a really big deal. Gwen obviously had no idea, thinking her cousin had hurt his arm in, sparring mat, in a sparring match according to him. Then the Spyarch asks Gwen to call him Addison. He gets a little bit more personal or personable, you know, and just says, hey, just call me Addison, you know. And she's she's saying, like, well, you're still the Spyarch. You're still, like, in, like, you you reign over us. And he's like, e- just call me Addison. We, we don't need to go with Spyarch right now, you know. And I think that's kind of for his protection. You know, I get the I got the idea more of, like, it was less of him trying to be familiar Although it was a nice gesture, but it seemed like more like, hey, we're in the open. If you're calling me like Mr. Spire Arc, it's, we might draw some. Somebody might try to kill me. Yeah. 
So then the uh, the Spyric asks Gwen to call him Addison. That he knows the protocols, but would prefer first names for now. He starts to open up about the current state of things, explaining that the monarchy that he rules was a necessary evil at one time, but now he is mostly obsolete. We learn that Gwen's father and the council mostly manage all the affairs of the Spire, and that they really don't have many numbers in their army, and the actual goal now is just to help people. He then asks why Gwen would want to join the Guard, since being a part of the House Lancaster would allow her to forego signing up. She says it's tradition and that she would think ill of herself for avoiding service. He considers her for a moment before stating that he will not show favoritism despite her importance to her house, that the missions she will be asked to carry out could be dangerous, and warns her that more young men and women than he cares to remember have been hurt or killed and gives her one last chance to get out, but Gwen understands and accepts the risks. The conversation then comes to a close with Addison discussing the upcoming training cycle and recruitment numbers with Benny, and before he can bid farewell, the group hears a sudden deep hollow chime of a bell being rung at the center of, Habble's, of the Habble's common area. The chapter ends with Addison explaining how he has heard of the upcoming duel and lets the cousins know how potentially messy it could turn out for those involved and warns them that a great many eyes will be on, upon them this day, including his own. And this is from the book. The Spyrarch glanced toward the source of the sound and nodded in what was undeniab undeniably a dismissal. The Tagwins are good people. House Lancaster has always had my respect, miss. I expect today's events to vindicate that respect. Gwen could recognize a command when, he, when she heard it, and her heart sudden, suddenly beat a little faster. This situation was no longer a simple mess caused by her lack of judgment. The attention of the spire arc meant that it had ramifications for her house as well. Yes, sire, she said, her throat dry. They will. As in, they will vindicate that respect that you have. I'm, I'm going to back up my words here. I'm going to... I'm going to do this. And I like how, once again, we get a little bit of Addison here, a little bit of um, seeing what kind of a person he is by saying the Tagwins are good people. He knows them. You know, of all the houses in Spire Albion, he knows the he's not just He's not just siding with the Lancasters, with the Astors. He's siding with the good people. So that's Chapter 9, man. Chapter 9. I said it at the start of the podcast, I'm going to say it again. Chapter 9 is another example of what quality, smart writing can do with character introductions, character conversations, and world building. And this chapter just knocked it out of the park, dude. Oh, my God, it was so good. What were I, I read it this Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What were your favorite parts? What, what was, like, your favorite parts of this chapter? My absolute favorite part of this chapter was the initial banter back and forth between uh, Cousin Benny and Gwen. Yeah. I thought it was so smart. I also loved how we got the bit of information because I was I was starting to wonder. I'm like, okay, we got this duel coming up. We got important house versus kind of meaningless house, even though the spire arc would have you believe they're both equally meaningful. But you have this duel coming up. I mean, what the hell is going to happen? And then you get the information thrown in about the cats. Yeah. And I'm like – I'm like, oh, yeah, they're trying to bring them into being relevant to society. And I'm just kind of sitting there like, no shit. Well, that's that's Raul's goal, because when he left, yeah. 
you know, he's he spoke with the chieftain Mom. and yeah, and like the chieftain's like you have a duty here. And Make then this not, shit happen. and then Merle comes up and is like Maul says remember your duty. He's like, "Of course. What do you think I'm doing?" And of and yes, he jumps and he jumped right on uh Aster second being like, "I am going to be doing I am going to be the second for Bridget, you know." Yeah. Like, so, this is not a discussion. This is happening. So now we are dealing with, okay, it's today. How's this going to go? You know? And then, and basically it comes down to Benny and Gwen being like, yeah, we're doing this. We're going to back this 100%. I love this chapter. Yeah, it was good. Anybody, anybody who's reading this book and following along, anybody who's read this book, I challenge you to let us know in the comments. Uh, we got to have your thoughts. What was your favorite part about this chapter? Because I think chapter nine shows up, which is writing ability. I think it shows off uh, just his world building skills. And it's 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 enjoyable to the point to where I almost wish every chapter was this fun because this whatever it was, 10, 15 pages like that. Yeah. And it's not even um, it's not even that any action happened, like you said in the beginning. It was just straight up character building, and it you felt like you were watching a movie while you're reading it. You just kept reading on. Um, there was a couple things I liked about the chapter that I want to share. So I really I liked how we were introduced to the Spire arc and how the little things he said were kind of endearing. So I have um, some from the book on page ninety seven. The this is a little little part. Gwen stared at him appalled. You don't look like your portrait because this is when he had first like revealed himself, you know, and he goes, I was younger and a good deal angrier when it was painted. I like that a lot because that tells us this guy has thought about what has happened in his life. You know what I mean? And the fact that, you know, I can imagine, you know, just like in this is going to sound weird, but like in North Korea where the the portrait of their president or whatever is always on the wall. You know, does he actually look like that? How would they know? You know what I mean? And so probably Gwen grew up with this portrait all over her house, all over the other houses, um, in her schools. And so she's used to seeing him like that. And when she's met with this old man being him, actually she's shocked because he looks nothing like that. And, and I like how he, he's basically, kind of sharing everything you need to know. Like I was a good deal angrier when that was painted, meaning like he was running the freaking show then, you know, another, yes. another part was uh, continuing on to the next page on 98 young lady. You are every bit as beautiful as your mother was when she was your age, Ah, breakfast or lunch, lunch fist, perhaps. So, he does hit on her a little bit. I mean, it's, you know, it's like regular old man stuff. Like, you know, yeah. I, I knew your mother. Like, like, just pervy, like pervy uncle stuff. Pervy, pervy grandpa. You know what I mean? And I, and what I liked about it was the, ah, breakfast. Like he, he's like kind of hitting on her and then changes the subject. It, he's done this before, you know, ah, breakfast or lunch, lunch fist, perhaps. It's just, it, it was nice. It was like, uh, <laughs> It wasn't too creepy, and then there was some funniness in there. And yeah. it, it kind of pulls you into the world because when you're reading these fantasy books, in this case, steampunk, you're in a completely different world. So you don't know 
what is considered funny for them or whatever. And by him adding this kind of thing, this could be done in any story. doesn't matter if it's, uh, you know, fiction or it's a story about us or whatever. Something, a joke like lunch fist is even good in steampunk, you know? So you're, you're getting an idea of like kind of the lightheartedness of this guy. I like that about, uh, spire arc. The other thing that I wanted to bring up was our change in perspective of Cousin Benedict. Did you know he was a badass before this? Like we knew he was a badass, but did you know how badass he was? We knew we knew he could we knew he could fight and we knew didn't he train Gwendolyn on how to use D-Way? D-Way with with the the crystal gauntlet. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure. I thought I remembered him training her on He know D-way. D-way. He know D-Way. Um so for me it's like a couple fold here. It, it's his intelligence and also his badassness so um at the end of page 91 and continuing into the next page gwen questions the true intelligence of cats and benedict says this it is often very useful for others to think you less intelligent than you are absolutely gwen has an aha moment and compliments benny on his political intellect you've never been known for your acute political intellect benny most of the house considers you a distant and disinterested observer, not a political asset. For cousin, uh, her cousin looked pain, pained, and I shall remain so in their eyes, if you please, he said. Politics is the purview of scoundrels, tyrants, and fools. I only observe because I prefer not to become their victim. So I like that a lot because it shows that he is like a thinking person. He sees the big picture. But he just kind of hangs in the background and observes it. But he's he, not somebody that jumps in and starts screaming political banter. He just kind of listens, absorbs, and then makes his own judgment. And he's ready. That I think that's the big thing is he's prepared for whatever outcome could happen. He's not some dumb, like guardsman. He is. Yeah. He is really intelligent. Can I tell you? Uh, can I tell you who he reminds me of? And you're probably going to scoff at me a little bit but you know who this character reminds me of who you john cena no he reminds me of you uh because you always come off to me that way when we whenever we discuss like politics or money or religion or anything even if it's something that maybe you like even openly admit to me well i don't know a lot about this or a lot about that we always have a kind of discussion about it and it it feels to me like you either know more than you're letting on or you you are you're very open to different things. You don't immediately react, which is how I see Benny. Yeah. um, I'm the smartest man in the room at all times. So get that out of the way. Uh, No, uh, it's not that I know more than I'm letting on. For me, it's more that I've, I've thought about a lot of things. And most of the time I like to hear another person's perspective before I formulate like my opinion, because that is a downside for me is like, I feel like I don't have any opinions. I feel like I just regurgitate what I hear. But when I hear someone else's opinion, I can build on that. Just like when we're doing world building and stuff, I can't come up with any good ideas for stories. But if you lay down like a statement or a sentence or a concept, then I can kind of mold off of that, you know? So that's really nice. That's a really nice compliment. Hey guys, I'm Benny in this story. I'm cool with that. Um, so further on in the chapter, we learn about Benny being awarded the Order of the Spire, a fact that he never bragged about or even spoke about. 
So let's go, Benny. Clap, 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 clap. That's what well, I felt like. Well, think about like. it like this. All these guys, you know, you hear some people talking about, well, I was in the war. I did this. I did that. But what about the guy that doesn't say it that has 30 medals? Yeah. I mean, there's different types of people. You know, yeah. people are um, – there's all types of people out there mixed, you know – all types of people make the world go round or whatever, but some people need that in their life. They need to be given approval and like credit and stuff, but not everybody does. And it seems like the people who are more quiet tend to be, mm, I wouldn't say more honorable, but I guess more thoughtful in it. I, I don't know. You know, it just, it, it shows you that he's got integrity. I'm not saying yeah. that people that brag about their conquests, lack integrity it's just that you show by your actions you know act like you've been there before and benny does that probably to a fault you know even his cousin who's like to her benny is her best friend but to him she's just cousin that doesn't need to know what i do but now she's being led into this world that he's been a part of for like more than a year has been into battle and is making sure she's ready for when she actually does have to hit the real stuff. So, yeah, I, I really like this chapter. I, I thought this was very good for no action, uh, especially coming off the last chapter when uh, I wasn't feeling too up on the book itself. You know, I was ready to go. This is a it was a nice extra cushion before. And now they have no excuse. We need to go somewhere. The bells are literally tolling at this point. Yeah, the duel is on. Like, the this duel is, is on. So things are about to ramp up. So I haven't read the next chapter. Can I make a prediction? Yes. Something will happen before the duel starts. Before I the probably, duel starts? Yes, before the duel starts. Something will happen. And that will either post. What do you think could possibly know. happen? City gets attacked. I don't know. Damn. That would suck. What well, tune in next time to find out what happens at the duel and uh thank you for joining me this week it's always a pleasure to be here dan uh, i'm blessed to be a part of this podcast i love the random book club podcast and remember if you guys are enjoying this too make sure you let us know your thoughts on our chapter discussions in the comments like these videos if you enjoy it it's great feedback for us and we will see you guys right here next time too blessed too blessed to be stressed my man thanks for listening to random book club podcast bye